It's uh, good to be in week three of our series called I Am. This is week three. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn uh, to John chapter 8. There's loner Bibles at the back there, a few anyway. And what we're uh, doing in a seven-week series is we're looking at the seven I Am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. He gave us seven kind of pictures of what he is like, uh, characteristics that describe who he is. The first week we saw Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life, and that, that resurrection wasn't something that Jesus just does, it's, it's who he is. Things change when the resurrection walks in the room, amen? Uh, last week we looked at Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and how that is comforting news for those who have troubled hearts. Next week, we're going to see Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. That's one of my personal favorite images of Jesus. Today, we're going to look at one of the most inspirational and life-changing I am statements Jesus ever made. It's found in John 8, 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, if you follow Jesus you will never walk in darkness, which I think is a great thing because darkness can be a scary thing, right? How, how many of you, when you were kids, uh, were afraid of the dark? Hands up. Uh, how many of you would say when, when you're, you're not a kid anymore, you're grown up, and you're still afraid of the dark? Anybody? A few of you? Um, I asked the staff this question this week, and, and Lincoln, our drummer today, Lincoln was, was saying uh, he wasn't afraid of, of, of dark, dark. He was afraid just when it was kind of dark mostly dark. It was like if he, if he was pitch black, he was fine, but if it was a little bit of light, it was not so great. Uh, when I was growing up, I, I think I was like most kids, kind of afraid of the dark. Um, my, uh, my parent, we didn't watch much television in my family when I was really young, and what I did see, I think I was really sensitive to, and there, I remember there being a commercial on television for some documentary about Bigfoot, and there was, do you remember, anyone remember that photograph? I mean, it, to me, it looks like a guy in a, a Bigfoot suit now, but I remember seeing that, and from there on in, every shadow in my bedroom was in a Bigfoot shape for some reason, and I kind of was rocking, you know, shaking in my bed for a long, long time, that, but then my parents helped me uh, uh, find the wonder of this little device that many of us have found comfort in, this little night light that changed everything. Just a, uh, a little nightlight seemed to change the entire uh, environment and dispel my fears of Bigfoot. Who knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> a little bit of light changes everything. And with light, the dark just isn't so scary. And so it's very good news when we ask, who is this Jesus that we are seeking to follow? And his answer is light. I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a, it's a pretty amazing claim. And uh, when we find out where and, and when he said these words, these become even more meaningful. Now, we've unpacked this before, so for some of you, this might be a little bit of review. I, I don't know about you, but I have a good forgetter. And uh, so it, it's good to you know, review uh, these truths. They never get old. Verse 2 of chapter 8 tells us of the context where Jesus said these words. Verse 2 tells us, the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. This was uh, one of the three major feasts for the people of Israel. If you lived within a, a walking distance of Jerusalem, you were required to attend these three feasts. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. 
also known as the Feast of Booths. This last festival was probably the most popular because it was the happiest. They were the most joyful at this feast. The Feast of of Tabernacles was and still is an eight-day celebration practiced at the, uh, held in October. And during those eight days, people lived in these little tents, these little booths. We kind of had a version of this growing up. My family every summer would uh, pack up our stuff into a little tent trailer and we'd drive off to a Christian camp where they had family camp. And uh, at this family camp that we attended, they had this building, big building where they had meetings every night, big church meetings. And the sides of the, the building actually folded up, so it was kind of almost like being in a little bit in the open air. And that building was called a tabernacle, and, and a fancy word for tent, really. So during this festival, this, this uh, festival of tabernacles, they'd camp out in tents. Why would they do that? Well, they'd do it to remember how their ancestors had lived in tents as they'd journeyed through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And this feast with tents would remind them that during those days in the wilderness, God himself had been with them, where? In the tabernacle, in a tent. That was his dwelling place. So that's how this feast got its name, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now there are a couple of uh, key symbolic rituals with this feast associated with it. The first was, the, the and both of them, by the way, refer back to the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. The first was the water ceremony. And the water ceremony helped them remember how God had provided water for them for this time, this time when they were in in a very, very dry place, this time in the desert. It reminded them of God's promise that that one day he would pour out living water. He would pour out his Holy Spirit on his people, on, on dry and thirsty souls. And so can you imagine, it was during this water ceremony that Jesus stands up and says these words. He says, if anyone is thirsty... Come to me and and drink, and out of your innermost being will come or flow rivers of living water. I mean, talk about a profound moment. I I think Jesus had a thing for timing. So there's the water ceremony, and then there was the light ceremony. Like in uh, Coquitlam here in early December, late November, they have what they call down at Lafarge Lake, right by City Hall, the, the lighting of the lake, right? They've got lights strung through the trees, and the, the fountain's got lights ready. And, it, and, and people gather together and watch as they throw the switch, and the, the Christmas lights all come on. It's a, a special moment that I've never bothered to actually attend. <laughs> it was a little like that on the first night of the festival. Well, it wasn't called the lighting of the lake. It was called the illumination of the temple. It took place in a part of the temple called the court of the woman, women. It was an area that was set aside for women to worship. It was right adjacent to the temple treasury. And at the end of the first day of celebrations, they'd set up these, these four elaborate, and just, I uh, can't overstate this, massive candelabrum that had these four golden bowls each filled with oil. Um, they were so far up they could only be reached by very, very tall ladders. Floating in the oil in these bowls were, were huge wicks apparently made from the undergarments of the priests. I'm not making that up. We, we shared a few weeks ago how, how the priests' robes were used to wrap meat. Now we're finding out that their undergarments were used to, as wicks in their lights. They were uh, utilitarian-type people. They didn't waste anything, apparently. But when the sun set that, that, that first day of the festival and the darkness came, these, these massive candelabras were lit, 
And it was said that their light could be seen throughout Jerusalem. The, the, the whole city was aglow from the light of these, these lamps. And then after they were lit, I love this description by William Barclay, New Testament scholar. He says this, he says, All night long, until the cock crowed the next morning, the greatest and the wisest and the holiest men in Israel danced before the Lord and sang songs of joy and praise while, while people watched. Dancing in the light. They don't do that at Lafarge Lake, do they? They stand around and drink hot chocolate. But here they danced. Why did they dance? Well, they were looking back again to their ancestors' time in the wilderness. The light ceremony reminded them how God had guided them through what can be a very dark place, the wilderness. Um, probably my highlight of my time in the Middle East a few years ago was my time spent in this very same wilderness, the, the Sinai Desert. It was incredible. It reminded me of Mordor, just for those of you who want to know. I was there uh, just after the Arab Spring of 2011, and so there was kind of an air of danger to it. I mean, uh, checkpoints and guys with machine guns, all those kind of things. And the place itself is just a rugged, confusing, wild place. Uh, wind forever blows the sand and, uh, and changes the landscape constantly. Easy place to get lost in, an easy place to get turned around in. I mean, I was so thankful for my trusted guide that had taken many, many people into that, that area. But, but think about the Israelites. They had no GPS. They had no maps, no, no road signs. I don't even know if there were any roads, right? And, and so God guided them during the daytime with a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Kind of a, a bit of a picture of it there on the screen, what it might have looked like to have a pillar of fire in the sky around. Quite something. And when these pillars of fire moved, uh, the people of God would, would follow their lead. If they didn't follow the pillars of light or the pillar of cloud, they'd be left alone to stumble in the dark. Now, uh, during this uh, ceremony, this light ceremony, they would read a number of Old Testament scriptures. All of them reminded them of this, this wonderful characteristic of God, that God is light, that that's part of his nature. God can guide because he's light. Now, let me read you a few. Love these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Not even Bigfoot beats out God's light. Send me your light and your faithful care, says Psalm 27. Let them lead me. Psalm 43. Come, descendants of Jacob. By the way, every Christian is a descendant of Jacob. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah 2.5. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Isaiah 60, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. So in the Feast of Tabernacles, for, for the next seven nights, those candelabras would spread their, their brightness throughout the city, and the people would celebrate God as light. And then on the eighth night, that the candles would be put out and the people would look forward to the next year when they would be relit again, kind of like we do in January when we turn off or unplug our lights. And so it was on this eighth night when Jesus was walking through the court of the women and it's in that place where the night before the, the place had been filled with the light, glowing with this brilliant light, but now, it, if you can imagine, it's, it's shadowed in darkness. It's there where Jesus proclaims, 
I am the light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a, what a claim by Jesus. And, and it's fascinating to me. He waits to say this until these candles go out. He, he waits until it's dark. It, it, it's as if Jesus is saying, I think, that, that for seven nights you've been seeing the light, these lights light up the city, but for the person who follows me, there will not be just light for a few nights, not just for the holidays. There will be light enough sufficient for your entire life. You know, the, the temple light is bright, but in the end it just flickers and it kind of dies out. I, I'm the light which lasts forever, which, which never runs out, never goes out. I'm the world. I'm the light of the world. I am not a light in the world. I am the light of the world. I'm just not like a night light in your bedroom. I'm not the light in your home or just the light in your neighborhood. I'm the light of the whole world, the whole ball of wax, the whole cosmos. I am the light. Listen to the good news that follows this. I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. I, I don't know about you, but I don't like walking in the dark, um, really. Um, how many of you have gone uh, spelunking? Spelunking is the exploration of caves. And uh, a few years ago, we went spelunking at Horn Lake. I mean, Mackie tried to take his family there. They were too afraid to enter. Your, your, your boy was too afraid to enter the cave, apparently. It was scattered away, right? A little young for, for a dark place like that. Um, Got to say, I loved spelunking at the Horn Lake Caves. Uh, it's over on Vancouver Island, just uh, north of Qualcomm Beach. Um, but I hated it at the same time. I loved the adventure part of it. I, what I found over the years is I'm slightly claustrophobic. I, I think it's because God made me big. He didn't design me for small places. <laughs> he designed her for small places, my <laughs> wife. But she's much more a natural spelunker. Um, the other thing is I, I don't like the dark. And, and uh, when we turned off our headla headlamps when we were in this cave, I can remember just you can't see a pinprick of light. Not, not a hint of a shadow of anything. Um, and uh, I can imagine, after our twists and turns, this twisted paths, uh, you know, places you had to kind of bend over to get through and crawl through, and, and, and I just couldn't imagine trying to make my way out of this cave in dark, blackness. And so this whole idea of walking in darkness suggests a, a picture of aloneness, of, of lostness, of, of confusion, of stumbling in the dark, of, uh, in, in tripping over stuff that you can't see. And so Jesus said, follow me and you won't walk in darkness. Why? Because you will have the light of life. You'll have the light that reveals the obstacles in the way. You'll have the light that shines on the path in your life. Whoever follows me literally means whoever keeps on following me. Just as the, the people in, in Sinai had to keep their eyes on the, the pillars of, of fire and the, the pillars of cloud, moving when the pillars move, stopping when the pillars stop. So we need to be ready to move when he says move and stop when he stops. Follow me, Jesus says. He says, stay close to me. Stay, stay right on my tail. I'm the light of the world. Walk with me and you'll never walk in darkness. What a great invitation. So what are the implications for our lives? I, wa I want to unpack five differences that following Jesus as our light has for our lives. 
really five that I've been inspired by from Daryl Johnson in his great little book, Who is Jesus? So first, if we stay close to Jesus the light, we will never walk in darkness about God, about who God is and what he's like. That God is light, and, and there's something about light. Light is revealing. It shows stuff, shines on things, right? Jesus the light brings shape and form and dimension to who God is. In our passage in, in verse 13, there's this uh, heated debate that goes on as a result of Jesus claiming to be light. They thought that claim was outrageous, and, and really it was. In verse 19, Jesus says, If you knew me, you would know my Father also. To know Jesus is to know God the Father. And in a passage in, in John 14, we looked at this last week, Jesus would later say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, uh, the light, turns out to be the, the perfect revelation of, of God, a perfect picture of God. We're told this throughout the New Testament. In, in, first, in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is described as the visible expression of the invisible God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, this was back in Genesis, he said those words, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What's he going on about there? He's basically, this is fancy, a fancy way of saying Jesus is God with a face. God is just like Jesus. In, in one of the, the Winnie the Pooh stories, uh, Winnie finds a pole stuck in the ground, and uh, Christopher Robin and his friends just kind of arbitrarily declare that this is the North Pole, <laughs> right? Um, kind of foolish. It's, it's a little bit like the spirituality of our day. All kinds of people are, are, are kind of planting poles in the ground saying, this is who God is. How do they know? <laughs> just like with, with Winnie the Pooh, uh, just declaring something, naming something, or labeling it the North Pole doesn't mean that determines true north, correct? Everyone in anyone's own understanding of God doesn't make that who, true, who God is truly. Daryl Johnson puts it this way. He says, we don't begin with God, but with our own ideas about God, which are not God. He says, all human ideas about God are less than adequate. Some of them are positively misleading. Here's the thing. God is light, and the characteristic of light, it's not hidden. And so by, God, by God's very nature, he doesn't want us to be in the dark about who he really is. He wants us to know. So if you want to know what God is like, you better, better start not with our idea of God, but what he has revealed himself to be. And so if we begin with Jesus, we're beginning with God's idea of God. And God is just like Jesus. The Father is just like Jesus. I don't know about you folks, but the Jesus, I, that's good news to me. I love the picture we get in the Gospels of, of Jesus. I mean, think about it. God is just as available and, 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 and approachable as Jesus. You know, I, I, I've had so many warped images of God in my, my journey. You know, strict father, vice principal, you know, uh, sheriff, police officer, all, all these kind of like authoritarian kind of images have been my primary image, and we find out he's just like Jesus. And who liked being around Jesus? Everyone, broken people, sinners, right? 
not the kind of people who want to hang around with cops, sorry to say. <laughs> we look at God, we look at Jesus, and we find out what God is like. Um, we looked at uh, this last week as we considered Jesus' claim to be the truth, which means to us that God can be trusted, that he's good. God's good, like what we see in Jesus. We inherently know that Jesus, as we read about him, is good. So stay close to Jesus as light of the world, and we don't walk in the dark about God. And surprisingly, as we stay close to Jesus, um, Jesus reveals who we are. Jesus turns out to be the perfect revelation of what it means to be human. I mean, aren't you you're grateful that, that God came in the flesh as a human being and not as a, an ant or a duck or a wallaby, right? He came as a human being, and it turns out that we are made. We're the only ones in all of creation that are made in God's image. We re somehow reflect God's glory uh, and, and who he is. We reflect that. And, and so it's so cool that, that Jesus, that, that, that we've been dignified with that kind of um, amazing gift, really. But the, here's the thing. Jesus is really the only flawless human being that's ever lived. The only untwisted, uh, whole human being. If we wanted to learn about, about uh, what it means to be human, we could look at human history. Uh, my son and I, we went out for, for coffee this week, and he's in grade 12, taking a grade 12 history class, and he's been studying the kind of the time between the two, what they call the two great wars, World War I and World War II, span of about 20 years that were among some of the most horrific days our planet has ever seen. Brutal, brutal things my son's recalling to me about that era, about uh, the numbers, the sheer quantity of people that died. And we, we looked over the last couple centuries and just the last couple centuries, and, and it's a terrible, terrible track record that the, the inhumanity that has been done uh, in, in, in our world. It turns out that, that a lot of things that have been done by people to other people are perfectly inhumane. And so you want to learn what it means to be human, look to Jesus. Look at how he lived. Look at his relationship with the Father, one of, of uh, confidence and assurance and, and dependency and, and hope. Look at his incredible love for people, his servant leadership, and, and his compassion. And you know what God wants for every single one of us? He wants a recovery of our humanity. What does that look like? Becoming more like Jesus. And, and here's the thing, becoming more like Jesus is not about becoming less human, but more, more of who we're created to be. That's why for many who, when you come to Jesus, it's like coming home. <laughs> It's like a homecoming, because that's really what it is. We're drawn to Jesus because we, we see in him what our hearts long to be. He shines his light on what it means to be truly human. Third, the light of Jesus shows, shines his light on the human condition. The human condition is described in Isaiah 9, where it says we as people are walking in darkness. You know, apart from God, apart from his presence and his goodness, we're in the dark. Darkness is spoken of some 200 times in the Bible. It's a, it's a picture of life apart from God, life apart from his direction, apart from his wisdom, uh, separated from his love and separated from his care. And, and we can be foolish, can't we? We can be ignorant or, or confused. That's darkness. We blunder around. We, we hurt other people. We walk in darkness. We become afraid. We lose hope. 
Sometimes uh, darkness takes the form of, of choking, literally choking our hearts. Um, I've shared this before with some of you, the, the Harvard study, where they asked students at Harvard, if prices were the same, which option would you choose? You make 25, option A, you make $25,000 a year, and everyone else around you makes $50,000, or, uh, yeah, pardon me, you make $50,000 per year, everyone else around you makes $25,000 per year. Got, got that? Option B, you make $100,000 per year, everyone else around you makes $200,000 per year. Which option do you think the majority of Harvard students chose? Option A, right? <laughs> Where you make more, everyone else makes less. That's kind of the human heart. A majority of us are willing to take a 50% pay cut in order to feel superior to others, right? <laughs> to have them envy us. You ever done this? I've asked you this before. Have you ever compared yourself to somebody else and, and then something kind of bad happens to that, that person and you kind of feel good inside? Did it ever happen to you? It happened to me. Where'd that come from, I think? There's darkness in me. The fact is, on our own, we walk in darkness. The fact is, there is great, great darkness in our world. John 3, 19 reminds us, this is the testimony that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. What is this darkness that can take such hold on us in our world? Scripture says it's a combination of sin and evil and death. And it is a big deal to God. Someone once said, the reason we don't run to God is we don't know how much trouble we're in. It's a big deal to God, the darkness on this earth. And it leads to isolation and guilt and loneliness. We, we get hurt by others and we hurt ourselves. But because he loves us, he exposes us to the truth. And it was during the, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He tells us that none of us can do anything about the real problem. We're, we're powerless against sin, evil, and death. We, we need a savior. We need someone stronger. We, we need him. So, so stay close to Jesus, and we're no longer in the dark about our brokenness and our, our sin and about what makes us so sick. And then at the same time, the awesome news that we just celebrated at Easter. I, I love that one song we sang this morning, Come Awake, Come Awake. He's risen from the dead is that we're also not in the dark any longer about what saves us. We're not. I love how the apostle puts this in, in uh, 1 Timothy 5. He, he proclaims this great truth, and then with just with such humility, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. We need a Savior. On to the fourth implication of Jesus' great claim, how Jesus illuminates God's plan for our lives. Um, fascinating how the, the late film director, Stanley Kubrick, explained his view of life. This is what he said. He said, the very meaninglessness of life forces man to create his own meaning. The most terrifying fact about the universe is not that it's hostile, but that it is indifferent. However vast the darkness, we must supply our own light. Kubrick didn't know it, but he was kind of almost quoting scripture. There, there's a passage in Isaiah 50 where it says, but watch out, you who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires, this is the, word you, the reward you will receive from me. You will soon fall down in great torment. That sounds like hard words, but here's the thing. We were not created to improvise our lives. 
We're not called to make, kind of make it up on our own. You are made for a reason. You've got, you, you, you were meant, wrapped up in who you are, who God made you to be. Is, is, you're bursting with purpose, people. You are. And when you just do your own thing, when you try to light your own lights, you're walking in the wrong direction. You're walking contrary to how you've been made. And, 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 and that's going to lead, God says, in, in the most compassionate way possible. He says, that ends in torment. Or he could have said, that ends in darkness. That's where that kind of living on your own, lighting your own lights, that's where it leads, is darkness. Um, so when we stay close to, to Jesus, we don't, we're no longer in the dark about God's will. He leads us out of darkness and into the light of his good purposes for our lives. I love that. It's usually a gradual thing. Think about God leading the people of Israel in the desert. He provided them a light, and they had to follow the light. They didn't, they, they didn't get a blueprint for their way out of the desert. They weren't handed a map. This is where we're going to go. He led them step by step. And God will do that for us. Usually it's like one, two, three, not four, five, and six, right? He lays out the next step, the next step after that, the next step, step after that. That's how God leads us. Practically, we follow Jesus by living according to his word. That's one of the ways, anyway. Famous scripture, Psalm 119. I, I learned this in the, the great King James Version that had such a way with words, words that I still don't understand sometimes. But here he said, and I love these words, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Love those words. My dad used to say to me, he said, Derwin, 90% of following God's will is just getting to know God's book and following its lead. It'll show you 90% of the way to live. And, and then there's this personal side to it too. G God does lead us through his, his book, but he also leads us very personally, very intimately, uh, leads us by his spirit. Um, I lied earlier. I, I said I don't like walking in the dark. I kind of actually do like the adventure of walking in the dark a little bit. My sons and I, we used to do this. I've told some of you before. Um, we used to live right adjacent to a woods, really dark woods. And in winter, when it snowed, the rare time that would snow here in the lower mainland, I would love taking my boys for a walk in the woods, and I'd have to coax them. We'd be at the park or something. I'd say, you guys want to walk home through the woods? And they're like, Dad, no. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I'd say, let's go. Let's do it. And they, they're boys. They're like, okay. And they they'd grab my hands and we'd walk through the woods and they would be scared as all get out. But you know what? That's still one of the memories that they reminisce about today. Remember the walk in the woods? I, I've told you this too. Not too long ago, there, this is just a couple years ago, we walked across Mundy Park in the middle of the night and they were still like little boys. They're big men now and they're like little boys. They're both holding my hands as we walked <laughs> through Mundy Park. So things hadn't changed very much over the years. <laughs> but you know why they walked into those dark woods i was with them and i was walking with them they knew i was there and they were prepared to go into the darkness that lead and and we'd walk in at hand and you see god doesn't give us a master plan for his, his life he gives us himself he walks with us in, into all of our lives he gives us his spirit to lead us step by step the father's will unfolds for us and as we find, as we follow him and trust him, Jesus, the light, knows where he's going. And, and he knows where he's taking us. He won't leave us in the dark about his will. 
fills our lives with purpose, even when we don't know where it's going to end up. Now, the fifth implication of, of Jesus' claim to be light in the world, if we stay close to him, if we choose to follow him on his way and into his life, we will experience something awesome. This more of his wholeness and healing and, and inner cleansing, all those very good, good things. As light, Jesus moves into the secret places of our lives, into the darkest nooks and crannies of our hearts and into our thought life and, and into our fantasies, into our motives to, to expose any and all darkness and to burn it up. It's like radiation light therapy that, that just kills the cancer cells of the deepest darkness of our lives. Back in 2013, you may remember that the G8 summit was being held in a little village region um, in Ireland, Enniskillen, Ireland. And in preparation for their, their VIP guests, the, uh, the village leaders were concerned about the image of their little town. I mean, in, in the years since the recession of 20, 2008, uh, many businesses had closed in their town, and they were really concerned. They'd been hit hard, and so there'd been numbers of bankruptcies and so on. And what the town decided to do was to put up fake storefronts through their town so what the, when uh, people drove through, when the VIPs drove through, they would see what looked like bustling businesses inside, right? Photographs. Um, they filled each empty shop with just a, a, a big grand picture of what it was supposed to look like. Um, in other words, grocery shops, butcher shops, pharmacies, etc. And, and it looked like a thriving business. One reporter described it this way. It looks as if the door is open and inside you can see a well-stocked shop. It's nothing of the sort. That door has been locked shut for well over a year because that particular business went bust this time last year. And that is an image to make it look as if everything is normal in the town. But unfortunately, it's not. Isn't that what we do? <laughs> I mean, I mean I, we, we easily judge that village, but we do that all the time. We walk around with this photograph, this picture of what we want to present to the world uh, a rosy picture on the outside, regardless of what's really true on the inside. We talked about this, la this last fall when we uh, delved into emotionally healthy spirituality and how Jesus is not content with just kind of dealing with the iceberg tips of our lives. He wants to dive deep into the, the real places of where we actually live, where, where there's, unfortunately, along with all the good stuff that's there, there's also darkness that he wants to address. The psalmist uh, describes this work of Jesus in Psalm 90, verse 8. He says, you have set our iniquities, another word of, for brokenness, you have set our brokenness before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. That light is an image of Jesus brought to bear on our lives. The, the Son of God shining in us, exposing the darkness, finally driving out the darkness, causing us to become whole and holy. For me, this has been a journey. Um, I've been so content to keep Jesus uh, at arm's length. I might describe it this way. If my life was a house, in our house, we kind of keep the living room clean. It's right where you come in, in our entranceway. And so if you were to come, we don't take you through our garage. <laughs> that's, that's, we wouldn't go that way. We wouldn't take you up into my son's bedroom or my closet, or my wife's closet. <laughs> there, there's places that, but there's, 
but honestly, those are nothing compared to the rooms in my heart and my life. And if I was to, so, so in some senses, I, I'm quite content with letting Jesus be in my front room and no further. And I've found that Jesus wants to probe deeper and deeper. He uh, wants to go into my basement. Uh, he wants to go into those places that are really, really messed, places where I feel such shame over my past, hurts I've caused, hurts I've experienced, all those kind of things. And here's, here's the thing, as embarrassed as I am to bring him into those places of my life, I find he brings no shame to me. I, I find he's not there to, to condemn me. He's there to shine his light and, and, and bring his healing and help and hope to the darkest corners of my life. I love the prayer we find. Uh, a lot of hymns are prayers. In the verse of this hymn, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun, before, uh, sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. Amen to that. So who is he? This Jesus that we're seeking to follow? He says, I am the light of the whole world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. God, you are light. And, and we thank you for sending Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus, as we seek to follow you, would you give us the light of your life, God? Jesus, that in you we would um, begin to get to know the Father, to trust the Father, to love the Father, to be confident that he's just like you, that he's good. Jesus, in you, help us to, to get to know ourselves. We can be so in the dark about that, God, but we pray you would reveal to us both our what it means to be human, God, and reveal to us our need of you, our need of a Savior, our, our brokenness and our sin, and our, our need to, to make those things right. Jesus, in you, and, and by the light of your word and your spirit, would you lead us and guide us onto the very best path of our life, where you know best. Help us, Lord, to trust you enough to follow your lead, to move when you move, and to stay close on your tail, God. Help us to follow you. And God, we know in our world, and even in our hearts, there is a lot of darkness. And I pray you'd shine your powerful healing light on every part of our lives, that we would not be content with simply pretending to be good, but that your goodness, your light, would permeate every part of us, that you might burn it up. Lord, Lord you'd cleanse us of all the darkness in our hearts, in our lives, God. Even this week, there would be revelation that we would become aware of our need of you in this place, in those deep places in our experience. This morning, we have great hope because you said, I am the light of the world. Thank you, Jesus. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.